Remember, most people are driven by why, not by what. And the prerequisite skills that we think people need before we do something is a what. But that nobody cares about a what. People care about a why. I'm Maddie, and I'm an ed tech coach, teacher, podcaster, online business owner, and above all, I am constantly dreaming up ways to reimagine education. I provide teachers with tips, tricks, and strategies to transform their classrooms into learning hubs that are filled with creativity, innovation, and discovery. I hope to empower all teachers, no matter what subject they teach, to experiment with innovative learning models and lead their classrooms with 21st century skills. So let's learn and grow together as 21st century educators. This is the EdTech Classroom Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the EdTech Classroom Podcast. Today, we'll be hearing from an incredible PBL expert, Talena Norfar. Talena is a mathematics teacher at a public high school in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. She has taught all high school courses, including AP Calculus AB, for 15 years. As a former journalist and account manager, she found that project-based learning was a viable method for teaching worthy mathematical concepts. She implemented and grew an implementation of PBL in her classroom during her first year of teaching, and soon into her career, she became involved and known by several organizations. She is a board member of the Oklahoma Council of Teachers of Mathematics and a member of several organizations, including the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics, the International Society for Technology and Education, and Association for Supervision and Curriculum Development. She's a former Teacher of the Year and Rookie of the Year and is a winner of the 2017 Oklahoma Presidential Award for Excellence in Mathematics and Science Teaching. She's a former national faculty member for PBL Works, and she's currently president of Norfar Educational Consulting, which provides professional development on student-centered learning strategies to schools across the United States. When she's not spreading love and hope to students and educators, she enjoys spending time with family and friends, especially her husband of 17 years. To say it is an honor to have Talena on the show today is an understatement. So Talena, thank you so much for joining me. I could not imagine being anywhere else. It is an honor to be here with you. <laughs> Before we started recording, we were both uh, chatting about how we had had pretty long weeks. It's Wednesday right now, and it feels like it should be the weekend. <laughs> yeah. Um, but again, I just really want to reiterate, it's so exciting for me to have you on as a guest. You are an absolute expert when it comes to PBL in the math classroom. Um, so I know I just went over your bio for listeners, but I know they'd love to hear directly from you. Um, so could you talk about your career path and what led you to implement PBL in your own classroom? You know, it is so funny because I have a degree in journalism. <laughs> And what happened is I, I literally, I mean, from the time of I was eighth grade, I had dreams of owning my own teenage magazine. I plotted out my high school courses, my college courses, like I figured it all out. And I was going to have my own teenage magazine that represented 
um, the beauty of all cultures and races and their authenticity by the time I was in my 30s. Like, I had it. And, of course, technology hit and the internet hit and the publishing industry um, really took a hit and was changing in the 90s. Um, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And I was figuring it out. And at, uh, at the same time, I was um, reaching my 10-year high school reunion, which is a very uh, humbling experience when you first have your first decade. <laughs> and a friend of mine, uh, who was, I was the president of the uh, my high school class, and he was the vice president. We were planning the reunion, and he was just constantly at me about coming into teaching. And I was like, oh, my God. Stephen, I'll kill a kid. Like, this is not a good idea. <laughs> now, again, I'm like imagining still having this teenage magazine, but yes, at the same time, I felt like I would kill a kid if I was a teacher. So um, irony is definitely on me. So I go ahead and consider it because I was like, you know what? I, I do want to impact teenagers. Maybe this could be my route. And again, I'm still thinking oh, maybe I'll just do the magazine through teaching. So I go ahead and decide, but I choose math because I was so frustrated with people being okay with being bad at it. Um, I had calculus in high school. You know, math was not a subject that was horrible for me. So I chose it um, because of trying to like help people be better at it, as well as one of the reasons why my um, high school classmate was really encouraging me was because there's really a shortage of minority teachers in the, um, the educational field. And so I was like, okay, I should also choose a course that's also very underrepresented by mm -hmm. minorities. So I did it, went to a school, a charter school, never heard of those before. When I came back into teaching, I was like, what's that? And uh, I went to a school that actually, his school that he was trying to get me to go to rejected me, passing me on to another charter school um, that specialized in PBL. Um, I went to their orientation. I came from corporate world where if you go to an orientation and they tell you this is what they're about, that's what you're supposed to do. So they said they were project-based learning school. They showed me a video. Um, that was it. That was the training. And <laughs> I was like, okay, this kind of resembles what I've been doing in the real world. Everything's about projects and uh, all of my professions. And at that point, I was on like my eighth profession. So um, I said, okay, let me do this. And I really felt like it was the right thing to do. And I took my journalism skills and started trying to study. Wasn't much out there. So I did a lot of school of hard knocks. Um, but I was sold from the very first year. And uh, just weirdly, I'm, you know, 16 years or almost 16 years later, I'm an expert at it more because I did a lot of things wrong. Um, and and I, I can't imagine teaching any other way and I can't imagine not being a teacher of teenagers. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, it's really cool to hear that you started off in journalism and publishing. I think that that's probably pretty unique for a lot of teachers. So that really excites me about your background. And then it was neat also hearing to your decision of why you chose math specifically. You also said that you became interested in PBL during your first year of teaching. It sounds like it maybe was because you ended up working at a school that really prioritized it. But thinking back to your experience in your classroom, your first year teaching, was there a specific moment or a specific project that made you be like, okay, this way of teaching works. I'm really going to continue to implement PBL in my classroom. Oh, yeah. 
Um, and I don't think there's anybody who once they try it doesn't have a, that moment. Um, and so for me, it was it was actually a really interesting way of having the moment. So I didn't again know what really teaching was. Like again, it just kind of put you me in a classroom and said go do it. And then on top of it, like I'm supposed to learn how to do this PBO way. So I did it with my honors class, and I definitely air quotes on that, which is supposed to be, you know, the class that most people think PBL is for. And, um, I just did it because I was sort of like, well, I can't hurt them. So, <laughs> so I did it. And I, I had a student in that class who wouldn't be considered honors. Like, um, she, you know, I never, I personally never felt like I should turn any kid away who wants to deal with an honors course. Um, but she she was not an, what, what people would consider an honor student. And I finally tried a, a project. It was about building a home. Um, I used my cousin as the um, client of the person who we were designing a home for. And this particular student who, again, was barely making C's up until this project, um, did an amazing job in the project. Uh, thought about, well, she's She's not an architect now. I'm sorry. Let me go ahead and spoil the alert in the story. <laughs> um, but at the moment, it had inspired her to think about being an architect from that. Um, and I mean, she she beat out A students hands down. And so I realized that although I was horrible at it and I needed to get better, it was a strategy that truly can help everybody. And I felt like most of education in, in my experience wasn't ever given a way where everybody would be able to shine or be supported. Um, yet that, you know, to me is our charge. As a as an educator, I'm supposed to help everybody rise to their level um, of success and excellence. And I, I was sold with her. Um, and then I just became more and more sold every project after that. Mm-hmm. I love that you just shared that because that's something that I really resonate with. Um, you know, obviously on a smaller scale because I am an elementary school teacher, but what you just said about a student who typically struggles in class, excelling for the first time during a PBL unit, that's something that really excites me about PBL. I think another thing that excites me is sort of the reverse too, where you see the A students um, the kids who are typically excelling in the classroom actually struggle for the first time. And so it's neat to hear as an ex, you know, you're an expert in this. So for you to have that, a similar aha moment that I've had is, re- is really uh, kind of neat for me to hear. <laughs> well, that means all aha moments are going to happen all over the place. <laughs> um, so could you talk about um, an example of an early project that you did in your classroom? It doesn't necessarily have to be the first year teaching. Um, but, you know, earlier on in your career, a project that you did, either one that was really great or one that completely failed. <laughs> um, oh, my God. I, I, d- I want to definitely talk about a failure one, um, mainly because I think, and at least I'm discovering in this profession, <laughs> um, many people who come to it um, have not experienced failure a lot and don't necessarily uh, deal with it well. Um, But I think the failures is the most important aspects of PBL and the road to PBL, because in all of my failures, that's when I grew the most. So there was this one project. I still laugh about it. It was so horrible. 
I really wanted to, um, it comes, and in every subject, it, math is not just the only one, but every subject, there's certain things that you're teaching that just doesn't, like, it doesn't lend itself to PBL. It doesn't have the richness, the, the um, contextual, under, deep understanding that it needs to have. It's just, it's just horrible content to use. So um, I didn't realize that I was, I, I picked one. I was just trying to, I felt like at the time you could make PBL out of everything. And um, I really wanted to help kids with expressions. I was an algebra one teacher at this time. And kids um, sometimes still struggled with operations and stuff with expressions. I, I named the project Expressions Everywhere, um, this beautiful tagline. <laughs> and I launched it and, um, and, and my, I have a, I've built a great relationship with my kids. They were with me on the project launch. They seemed, you know, they were okay. But about day two, they looked really, like their faces were horrible. And so I was, I went to one who was always very blunt with me. I love, I love the most blunt kid in the world. <laughs> um, and so I said, well, how do you feel about this? He's like, it's horrible. <laughs> and I said, I think so too. Let's just scratch this. He was like, yeah, that would be good. Um, so I scratched the project. It just, it just didn't have any weight. They were just basically putting things in a PowerPoint for nothing. Hmm. Um, so I, I think accepting and being okay with things not going well and using it as a more of a reflection time and what could you do differently? What can this show you rather than this doesn't work, which I feel is what we do most of the time as an educator. Mm -hmm. If it didn't work, then we dismiss the, the strategy rather than thinking that it was just us needing to learn more. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's one of my favorite failures. Although I fail a little bit in every project I do. Not, mm -hmm. not all of them have something that I didn't do well. Yeah. I, I like hearing that you had this interaction with a student specifically. Um, I think that's a really great example of prioritizing student voice in your classroom uh, and making sure that you're leaning into student interests. So I, I particularly liked hearing that. Um, you know, fast forward, obviously, you're still a math teacher. You now have tons and tons of projects under your belt. Uh, I know you just talked about uh, expressions everywhere, right? Was that the name of the yeah. project? Yeah, <laughs> but your, your projects, your projects still have catchy names to them, right? I think I saw on your blog, you have parabolas for profit, right? Isn't that <laughs> one that you recently did? <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So the funny thing is the names, um, only I, that's only what people know or what I, I put in the book and what we're putting in the upcoming, um, the co-author and I, the book that you had mentioned at the beginning, um, project-based learning in the math classroom. It's it's grade six through 10, but um, Chris Fancher and I are actually working on a K through second and a third through fifth right now. Oh, wow. That's I'll have to check that out for sure. I know, right? I'm so excited about it. Um, but, the, but the title thing is really a teacher thing. My kids never know <laughs> the title of the projects. Um, as a matter of fact, they, I mean, yes, they know the driving question, which is a, a very helpful tool to kind of keep them on track. But they typically mold that and morph it into their own too. Um, but the the project title is more for me. I communicated with teachers to help them sort of see what um what it means. But they never know 
the title. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I'm the same way. When I talk about projects with other teachers at my school, we also use abbreviations for everything. I'm sure that's an experience that most educators can relate to. But these recent projects that I've seen on your blog are really interesting. You know, I'm not a math teacher. I'm not a high school math teacher. So some of it was a little bit over my head, if I'm being honest. (laughs) Um, But what are some examples of some recent projects that you've done with your students that really stand out to you? You know, um, I'm re- okay, so one of the things that I, ca- I can't wait to blog about, I haven't had a chance to blog about this, about how COVID has kind of jolted everyone, including me, who is seasoned at PBL. It took me a while, um, like I'm just now really launching or doing a real in-depth project with my students this year and going to launch uh, one with my geometry students next. And so I, um, the one that we're doing right now um, is actually reimagining school. My students are, um, my honors uh, math analysis, which is a very fancy way of saying pre-calculus. Um, they are basically really doing a deep dive on what learning is and what it should look like and what it means to prepare them. And they're going to write a proposal to the school and to the district um, recommending changes Mm. of um, what will help them be successful. Um, The math actually in it is light. It'll be um, statistical analysis and uh, some of the math pieces, Uh, but in the sense of truly going to into the product, Um, but they're utilizing their, their, molding their thoughts and their opinions about what they should recommend based upon different strategies we're doing in the classroom to learn math. Hmm. Uh, so it's a very, my first time having kind of a backwards in twist to a uh, project where the math is sort of a diff, uh, like a sidebar mm-hmm. rather than the main entree. So I'm really excited about that because um, they truly are going to be listened to. Um, they've, they're excited about the district really taking their policies and their uh, ideas seriously and same with the principal. Um, so that's a really cool project I'm doing right now. And I love it when you can utilize the circumstances around you mm-hmm. um, to help kids be empowered to do things. Yeah. The next one um, that I'm about to launch that I'm excited for is, in the geometry class is um, a geographical information systems based project where um, that's a new upcoming technology, new really growing um, career field, where it's mixing um, geometry and statistics together. Um, it's a, a tool called Eric um, or Eris, uh, Arc Eris, and you basically can map statistical data on regions and analyze them uh, for inequities or uh, possibilities. And so my students are going to examine. Um, inequities in our community and mm. make a proposal to the city council. Wow. These are such great examples of embedding authenticity into projects. Sorry, it looked like you were going to say something more. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't. It, yeah, it is. It, it, it truly, and it can be, I, I wouldn't say you necessarily need to like jump to such a high authentic um, project if you're new to this. That can be really daunting. But don't stop that um, the realness to any kind of degree, because kids will never ever work to an excellent level for just you. Mm-hmm. 
have to have someone um, that they're really working for outside of you for their excellence to come out. Yeah. They get excited about authentic projects too. I'm, you know, again, elementary school teacher, so my students might be a little bit more easily excitable than yours, not to assume, but <laughs> just it's based true. off my experience interacting with high schoolers. But um, they get so much more excited when the project is authentic and when they hear, oh, my work is going to be shown here or I get to talk to this expert. Um, I think it's a really great way to hook kids and get them um interested in the project and in a lot of ways it makes it feel like they're having fun and learning is just sort of a, a byproduct of that absolutely but yeah you're not wrong in the fact that the older they get the more um sarcastic <laughs> and more um sort of just they don't really get excited about much mm -hmm. it, it, takes, it takes a little bit for me <laughs> <laughs> You know, so we just mentioned um, authenticity, right? Um, which, as we both know and listeners might know, is kind of a core pillar of PBL. Um, what would you say are some of the other key key ingredients, I guess, to a high quality project uh, in the math classroom specifically? You know, it really um, isn't much different than any other area. The, the methodology that you do inside of it is different, but the elements are the same. And I was really fortunate to work. Um, uh, it was, it's called High Quality PBL or HQPBL.com. I mean, .org. You can check it out there. I was really honored to be a part of um, a team of people. Uh, it, was, it was driven by PBL Works or uh, Buck Institute for Education at the time. Um, but it was uh, networks from across the country, um, EL Education, High Tech High, many um, organizations that have been doing the work of PBO for a while. And we came together to kind of come up with a common framework. And as a, as a math teacher and as a teacher representative in that, it, it was such an honor. Um, but I, I was glad to bring out the role of the common elements regardless of subject. Um, especially because I think so many times we're like, ooh, well, not with that subject. So I love the fact that I'm able to say, no, just like English, math needs this too, and, mm -hmm. and both can, can coexist. So it, it's basically intellectual challenge and accomplishment, authenticity, like you said, very true, public product, collaboration, project management, and reflection. Um, those are all, I also help people see that those are all great elements by themselves. Um, but when they come together, it's just amazing. Mm -hmm. And it's high quality PBL when it does. Yeah, that's great. Those are some great tips. And I'll also be sure to have um, HQ PBL, right? Linked mm -hmm. in the show notes in case listeners want to um, check out that resource. Um so I kind of want to shift gears slightly. I guess this is somewhat related in the sense that we're talking about tips and strategies. Um, but I'm really excited about your book. Um, I think it sounds awesome. I mean, probably immediately after this conversation, I'm going to go purchase it. <laughs> um, even though I'm not a math teacher, but it seems like there's a lot. I mean, you just said this, right? In your last response that there are things that can apply to multiple different subject areas, but uh, in your book, you share really practical advice and strategies that have worked in your classroom. Um, and what I like about this approach is that teachers are able to implement 
the tools and tips that you give them in their classrooms immediately. Um, and so what would you say is a strategy that you might recommend to other math teachers who might be listening right now um, who are looking to incorporate more PBL in their curriculum? Yeah, that's such a great question. And uh, thank you. Yeah, we, when we wrote the book, we really, really wanted it to be practical. And although we even knew we wanted eventually a K through 12 um, spectrum, we wanted each time, even if it's specific to a grade level, um, that people could still get something out of it if they weren't at that grade level. So although it's six through 10, elementary really could still benefit from it. Um, but you will benefit from it when the elementary comes back out too. So you can actually have both. So I would say a, a key part for math um, but it, it, it does cross somewhat other subjects too, but just math truly, I think it's our Achilles heel um, of our subject. And that is how to have kids, uh, a strategy that really helps kids discover the inquiry process. Um, so a strategy I, I love is um, uh, the workshop model. And the reason why I like it is because it's, it's, it's vanilla. Like it's plain, it's just a, it's just a structure, um, but you have to really think about what's in it to make it uh, beautiful. So it's just, it's a mini lesson. So one aspect of that is math people sometimes talk too much. So you can't talk that much. You have to get, give them just enough to get started in the work, which is really you're getting started in, in their own questioning and answering their question process. And then the work time is mostly dedicated to the students driving themselves to through their learning process and then having them share out at the end. So um, there's a lot of resources about the workshop model that again in my book um, we mention it and we, we show sort of what that looks like. But I think ha the hardest part I ever were I worked for like five years on it of my PBL process is how do you get kids to ask their own questions, answer their own questions, and come up with new questions and keep cycling that. Um, it's simple to say, but it's really hard to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. And in a math classroom, it's completely foreign to us. We're just very used to telling them everything. Mm -hmm. Something I'm wondering about, and this might be, uh, this is actually probably a myth of PBL in the math classroom, but it is kind of related to inquiry. And I'm sure you can debunk this myth, which is why I'm asking. But, you know, when I think about math. I think about how kids need to or students need to have all these skills, right? They need to learn how to do all these things and then the PBL can happen. How do you use this workshop model so that the skills come during the PBL and that it's not like, oh, a student needs to learn XYZ before they can actually do the project? How, how can, basically what I'm asking is how can they do the project to learn the thing instead of needing to learn the things before they do the project? Oh my God, you are uh, literally bringing up every question I've ever had in any training that I've done across this across this world. <laughs> um, now that I think about it, I have gone to um, Columbia to teach too. Um, <laughs> you know, I try. I, before I give that answer, I think the thing that help that needs to happen in a person's mind is remember most people are driven by why, not by what. And the prerequisite skills that we think people need before we do something is a what. Mm 
but that nobody cares about a what. People care about a why. And so if I know why something exists and now I care about what I need to do to get that to happen. And so uh, the, the switches is not that you're not gonna teach those things. You're now gonna have them want to know those things in order to do the thing that leads to that. So for example, um, and I'm thinking of it right now because it's what I'm teaching, but it's, it's one of those content areas that's horrible for PBL. <laughs> rational expressions. And so rational expressions has um, a lot in it when it comes to adding and subtracting and multiplying, dividing them uh, sort of things, like, like many other math topics. But if I didn't really show kids that, they wouldn't realize the need for knowing simplifying or knowing rewriting, which is what teachers would think they would need to pre-teach. Um, so you don't have to pre-teach anything. You have to really concentrate and, and just develop for yourself how things are interconnected and how can you go really above and beyond to create that need to bring everything along with it. And that's how your project um, comes into fruition. I love what you said about how I wrote it down because I loved it so much. <laughs> You said most people are driven by a why, not a what. I think that that's something that I'm definitely going to continue thinking about beyond our conversation. Even in my own classroom, you're so right that when I think about myself, I'm completely driven by why, right? Everything I do is because of a why. Yet I think in my own mind, a lot of the things I say to students probably do oftentimes revolve around the what. I'm realizing as you're talking about this, a pitfall in my own teaching and something I'd like to improve on. So th thank you for reframing that. Thank you for teaching me something and for also debunking that myth. <laughs> a kindergartner is always a great place to remember how to uh, get backgrounded in teaching, I think. Um, I don't now, I should clarify, I have no children, um, but I have a lot of relatives and the younger, uh, aspects of my relatives always reminds me of what really learning looks like because you really don't have to teach people how to learn we do it well coming out the womb um but you can tell just by thinking of anybody below five 90 percent of their statements is why as soon as they learn how to use the word why <laughs> and what why is they are driven by it and they will wear you out saying but why why is that? Why is that? Um, before that, they're like, ooh, ooh, and they're kind of figuring out for themselves. They just don't know to ask why yet, but they're, they're driven by their own curiosity. Um, so I just try to always look at them and analyze them and um, see how they're evolving and growing. Like one of the recent things I've discovered, I have a little nephew. He's not, he's not five anymore. He's a little older than that, but he's been tripping me up since he came out the womb. Um, singing songs at three, but he was, uh, he, he is excellent at driving his own learning. Um, he's a video gamer, hardcore, he's only seven, um, but he watches YouTube videos to get better at gaming. And because of his awareness of how experts are available online, he is very um, 
impatient with people who don't show their expertise because he realizes he can get it from an expert and grow and keep going. And so um, he's also the person who I probably will have to retire. <laughs> it's up to my um, age group. Uh, but he he's taught me a new a level of understanding that um, the world has experts. Many generations now know that the experts are available. And so I don't need to act like I'm an expert. And people are fine with going to go get expertise from people other than the people in the building. And I need to like embrace that, empower that for people who maybe didn't realize that it can happen in any arena and um, make, nurture that. Mm-hmm. That's a great example. That's something I've thought a lot about this school year. I've had to help out in different ways than I have before. So I have been asked a lot of questions from students that I don't know the answer to because I'm not an expert in that area. Um, so something I've had to, to practice saying is asking students, I don't know, but how can we find out? And so teaching kids the skills to actually be able to find the experts to go to YouTube, for example. So that's something that I think is really beautiful about this next generation, that they are so inquisitive and have access to all these resources at their fingertips, you know, that they can they can um, look up and find out. So I have one final question before we end off the interview. Um, you know, a part of PBL is giving students a safe environment where they're able to fail. Um, so what does this look like specifically in a high school math classroom where things like you know, the possibility of going to college or the, you know, AP testing, all these things are sort of in the way. What does failure look like in your classroom? That is um, such a good point and so timely. I was literally talking. <laughs> um, I have a student intern right now and we, and I also have a, a, a coworker who left to go to an, uh, she got a, a upgrade in her position. And so we were, uh, we thankfully, she knew a student, uh, a former student who graduated college this past December and is willing to like finish out the year in her place. But I was talking to both of them about the necessity of safety in a, in a classroom and how much even more needed it is at the high school level of math because the safety has over and over again been lacking as they grew up over the years. They, they, they've had too many more experiences of um, sort of having sort of side my remarks if they did try to speak out or, um, you know, being told what they're not. And so your ability to make them feel safe and comfortable is, is, is a, a, ch a challenge because you have to really work at it because they just have so much barriers. But um, I think there's a couple of, of key things to help create that safety that I think anybody could do regardless of your personality. And I think one is to constantly invite people just trying and praising them to death for trying. So for instance, in one um, aspect of my class, I don't just tell them what the learning target is. That's, that's a very common thing in education now. I think a, a lot of people are required to have kids know what the learning objective is to say it, you know, write it on the board, all of that stuff. So I, I make it sort of an interesting guess um, aspect. So I'll make a funny phrase or a connection. And I'm like, okay, you know, we're talking about rational functions. What do you think I mean by step up your game? Like, what could it be? And I encourage them. And every time somebody says something, I'm like, oh my God, that's amazing. 
oh, that's wonderful. And I'll even make a point to say, you know what? You know, I'm going to say it's amazing. You know, I'm going to say it's wonderful. So just say it. Um, so something that small starts to crack um, their foundation of feeling like, well, I, I'm going to be ridiculed if I, if I step out and say anything. And then the other part um, that you got to be really intentional, but you could do is making reflection more of the goal than to get it right. So one of the things that I do um, with students, I call it a, a two for one cycle. Students get two days to wrestle and try to learn before there's an assessment. So the first assessment is um, one that they can still get help with anybody in the room. I just can't be the person. They can even, you know, use math way. Um, whatever they take, they can do it. But the key part is, I, and I, I make it a bigger part of the lesson the next day is let's see what happens. Let's see what happens and let's see what we need to do differently in order for us to get better. Because it's not about getting it right the first time. It's about realizing what we need to do to grow. Mm -hmm. um, so learning is really in our mistakes, not in our, our rightness. And so praising or emphasizing um, what you should do helps them not think about uh, the mistakes and that, you know, well, wallowing in that. Mm -hmm. um, it's no longer a piece. But it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a process. Those two things, I mean, I do more than that. But those two things, I think, are huge in anybody, no matter what your personality, which is kind of a pet peeve for mine. I think too many times in education, we think you have to have a certain personality. That's not true. You, you just have to have certain things you do. There's just strategies that work. Um, and it's, it's, it's personality mm -hmm. um, outside of that. So praise them for guessing and trying. Um, make reflection a much bigger thing than the actual work. And you start to create that safe and comfortable environment that definitely is a requirement for PBO to work. Mm -hmm. I think that praising and reflection are both really great strategies and examples for how you can provide students with a safe environment in your classroom. So thank you for those tips as well. Um, how, how and where can listeners find you? How can they learn more about your work if they're ex as excited as I am about all of the amazing things that you're doing? <laughs> well, a huge, a huge thing. Um, I am a huge Twitter. I do a lot of Twitter chats and I, I'm going to be back at tweeting every day uh, and Instagram. I do both um, where I, I try to share my classroom. So I'm T-H Norfar, N-O-R-F-A-R, in both of those platforms. So that's a first level beautiful thing to do um, to, to connect with me. But then I'm transitioning. I'm actually about to launch two websites. But um, but my blog, you can still like follow right now. And then when I launch those two websites, I'll be um, announcing it on that. And that's pbl-birdside, like you basically get a birdside view of my classroom, dot blogspot.com. So that's like secondary for you to be able to like see an extended aspect of my class. But Twitter and Instagram, 
I, I do a lot on it. <laughs> Perfect. I'll be sure to have your Twitter, your Instagram, your blog, your book, all of that great stuff linked in the episode description for listeners to check it out. Um, but thank you so much for joining me on the show today. As I keep saying, you're awesome. I learned so much in this conversation from you, and I know that our listeners feel the same. So thank you. Thank you for having Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the EdTech Classroom podcast with Talena Norfar. I really enjoyed hearing Talena's perspective on PBL in the math classroom. If you liked this episode, be sure to write a review, give me a five-star rating. You guys know it helps new podcasters like me so much. I'll see you back here soon. Bye, friends. Mm-hmm.